Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. How's everyone doing tonight? All right. Well, what do you talk about? at a time like this. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if any of you, where you get your news from, what's going on. I mean, we, we found out last week there's a possibility there's aliens, which is kind of interesting. You know, I've been wondering ever since the 50s whether there were aliens or not. There apparently are. They've got biological evidence. We'll see. They've got some spaceships that they're reverse engineering. We'll see, you know. I mean, my first thought is, are they Christians? Are they, like, if they're not on this planet, uh, uh, do they qualify as somebody that needs Christ in their lives, you know? I, I'm sure you think about these things, too. I mean, there's way more things you want to think about when you talk about aliens that, where are they from? You know, why are they here? Uh, what happened to them? Did they crash? Did we shoot them down? Are they friendly? Maybe they were friendly, now they're not, you know, because they heard what happened in the 50s. So all this is unveiling. I mean, you think, well, what is this? But Congress, which is one of our highly elected bodies of the government, all this past couple of weeks have been doing a conference on this. They're, they're asking questions, finding it out. And I, I think, when are we living? This is amazing. You know, we, the questions we're having, I, I think often because I'm 66 years old, I think, you know, and I remember very well when I was 16 or 26 or 36, there's demarcation points in my life. And I thought, what would I think about this when I'm in my mid twenties or early thirties? This, I mean, we were just worried about Russia attacking us. And we had that solved because if they dropped a nuclear bomb, we were taught how to duck and roll underneath the table and we'd be okay. Of course, we know that we've seen videos of nuclear bombs when they go off, and really, a desk is not going to protect you. But, you know, it was enough for a five-year-old to say, oh, okay, well, that's good, you know, at least we've got some defense against this. So we're always worrying about the Russians, now we're kind of worried about the Chinese, and we're, you know, we take turns with the other side of the planet who we're going to be worried about. And so there's a, there's a constant tension in every generation about culture and about what's going on. So it's, it's something I've kind of dedicated my life to. My father was a politician, so we were always kind of in the depths of culture, what's going on in politics, what's going on in our nation, you know. And uh, uh, I, I remember so clearly 1968, which was, in fact, let me, let me just read something to you. It's kind of interesting, at least it is to me. So I'll read it to me again if I need to, and you can just listen in. But uh, I was, I, one thing I was kind of curious about over the past couple of weeks was when was the worst time in history to live? That's just going through my head. I needed to solve that. AI helped me very quickly on that. Uh, here we go. Countdown worst years. So worst years to be alive in history. Have you, have you wondered about this? You, did you think it was like last year or something like that? But a pandemic maybe? Uh, so I looked it up. So this countdown from 17, I'm not going to do them all. I just wanted to do one to see you what, so you can see what one of the worst years was. This is actually number 17. So this is not the worst year, but it's in the top 20. 
And uh, it was in, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. Here we go, 17, 542 A.D. saw the start of the most devastating plagues in human history. Most of you have never heard about it. They don't teach about it in school. I didn't know anything about it. I, I, I know a little bit about history. It saw, saw the start of the most devastating plague in human history, and even the Roman emperor is named after it, almost died from it. And so it said halfway through his reign, I'm just going to read this a little bit here so you get an idea of how bad it could be compared to where we are now. Halfway through his reign, the Eastern Roman emperor, Justinian, fell seriously ill. He pulled through and went on to stay in power for another decade. However, many of his citizens were not so lucky. Indeed, the plague ravished large, part, large parts of the world between 541 and 542. That's a two-year period. It's estimated that 25 to 50 million deaths took place. This means that around, so you think, well, what does that mean? I mean, that's like, you know, it's like a, what is it? It's like a sixth of the United States population. Uh, of course, the United States didn't exist then, but uh, it estimated 25 to 50 million deaths. This means that around a quarter, 25%, of the world's population was wiped out in two years. That's kind of devastating. That's number 17. Like you wonder, what's number one? You know, so it goes through this as it means a quarter was died. However, despite being one of the most devastating plagues in human history, the Justinian plague has largely been forgotten. While it peaked in the year 542, the plague lingered for another 200 years. And not just in densely populated city of Constantinople, which is Istanbul today, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, and where as many as 5,000 5, people a day were dying in that city. Notably, this was the first time that contemporary historians recorded a plague as it spread and took root. Thanks to them, we know that the Justinian plague was not only killed millions, it also led to a massive spike in grain prices. Well, because there's no one to farm the fields, I guess causing huge numbers of people to go hungry. All in all, so you got a plague and then you're hungry. If you did live, you're dying of hunger. It says, uh, all in all, in 542 uh, was a bad year to be alive or dead, even if you were lucky enough to be one of the 60% who survived the plague. So I read that, and I read through all the others. They're pretty, yeah, I don't want you to leave saying, wow, I went to a young adult group and I'm totally discouraged now from being there. But, but what, when you see history, you start to realize, okay, all right, we've been here before. You know, the, the, uh, not being able to, to see my friends for a year in 2020 wasn't that bad. In fact, I found out some of them really, weren't really my friends. But anyway, uh, wearing a mask when I went into Walmart, you know, I thought was really bad. But maybe, maybe it wasn't that bad, you know. And, Maybe you do know someone that died from COVID. You know, I know quite a few people um, because of my age. You know, they were more likely older people to die from it uh, than younger people. And so I can name friends that I had in, uh, in the Denver uh, area, in the uh, greater Cleveland area that got it in their, in their 60s and died from it. So it was a very tragic thing. I think it was, what are we up to now? A, uh, was there a million people in the United States that died? They, they, or they attribute to that, uh, dying with COVID. Um, and so we're, we're kind of just, uh, between that and the lockdowns and everything else, there's, there's something that's happening in the US culture 
right now where all of us, regardless of what generation you're from, are kind of having uh, after effects of this. I mean, there's, there's suicides, there's depression, there's anxiety attacks, all kinds of panic attacks from it. It's something about it psychologically affected even young children who have now learning disabilities and things where they didn't prior to that, but because they missed school, because they missed key gap times. So uh, all in all, the country is in a place of, it's a funk of sorts, like they're not sure what's wrong, but something doesn't feel right. Then you throw on top of that core questions. You know, prior to these past couple years, uh, one thing we didn't have to worry about was one of the greatest decisions of our life was made when we were born. Which gender you are. I mean, you, you are male or female. And, you know, okay, well, that solves that. You know, I'm a male. You know, I'm, I'm going to be obnoxious and do male-y things, you know. <laughs> or I'm a female, you know. And I, whatever your stereotypes of male and female are, it was like, okay, well, you know, we, we don't have to worry about that. But then Congress, earlier this year, they're... They're asking the question, what is a female? When I heard that, I thought, this is where we've come? <laughs> Over thousands of years of technology and science and everything else, we're, we're asking, what is a male? What is a female? How do they interrelate together? We find out now there's hundreds of genders. They're adding them every day. I mean, it's getting huge. And I, I understand. I mean, we, we are seeing some amazing things happen in the midst of all this confusion. And a lot of it is a greater clarity on why I need to know who I am, particularly believers, followers of Jesus Christ, one of the key things you have to identify is your identity. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. These are the things I want to believe in. We run a school called Bethel School Supernatural Ministry in Cleveland. It's modeled after the, the Bethel in Reading. We're a Bethel church, one of six in the world, you know. And uh, we, the first thing you year, you first year you learn in BSSM about your identity. That's why I've encouraged a lot of people to go go to BSSM, take a two-year gap. You know, if you're not sure what you want to do anyway, we'll take two years and figure it out. Go out there and I'll let, in the presence of a Holy Spirit revival environment, studying the Word of God, being around a community of people that believe like you believe, people of all color from all over the world. I mean, they've got, I don't know, 80, 90 nations represented there. Up to 2,800 people that have come at a time out there. Now they, you can actually take it online also and join the worldwide community. But uh, the settling of yourself in what God believes you to be is powerful. When you know that I'm a son of God, I'm a child of God, I'm a daughter of God, I know what he's called me to do. When you figure those things out, um, it's a big part of your life. You, you get a confidence. You know, what, what are the hills? Are, and I, oh, what was they say? I am a child of God. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That part doesn't matter, but this part, I am a child of God. I am a child. And you ever watch when, you're, when, when they first came out with that song, what was it called again? It was called uh, No Longer a Slave, right, of course. No longer slave to fear. I am I'm trying to sound like Helzer. <laughs> I'm a child of God. Whoa, whoa. Well, everyone, they didn't understand the words. They, you know, they go through the verses like trying to keep up. But when you got to that part, 
the volume went way up because everyone's like, yeah, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And they would, of course, repeat it because it's obvious everyone knows that part. Ooh, 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 ooh. And they go through all that and then they go, I am a child of God. And something would come on you when you'd sing that like, yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm a male child of God. I'm a female child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm royalty. I'm, I'm a king's son, a king's daughter, you know. And, and you get that into your mind and head. It, it changes things. You know, when you if, you, if you found out tomorrow that you were a, a distant relative of a, of a European king, and they wrote you, all the descendants they wrote into their inheritance, and you just find out about it. I mean, would, that, would it be like, well, whatever, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not really into that, you know, I'm American, I'm not European, you know, what, what am I getting? Well, you're, you're getting $200 million and about a 5,000 acre plot in uh, Levonistan, wherever that is. And you're like, oh, was that worth some money? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's worth quite a bit of money, more than you can spend in a lifetime. Well, I don't know. I can spend a lot in a lifetime. You know, well, it's going to be a lot, you know. And you're also, you're getting a royal title, but you're going to need to move back there for it to all come to you. I got to leave Winston-Salem for that? Yes, yes. Winston-Salem, do they have Starbucks? Uh, no, no, they don't have Starbucks there, but you could open one. You know? I mean, you're going through the whole thing. No, you wouldn't do that. You'd be like, wait, what? Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, hold on a second. Wait a minute, you're saying... How, that's impossible. I've never heard this before. I don't know. It sounds crazy, but your name was listed there as one of the distant relatives. And what do you think? Are you are you in or not? You know, I'm in. I mean, you would do it. You would say that. It'd be like, what about Winston Salem? I don't care. I'm going to Lucastan or whatever it's called. I'm going there. Where is it, by the way? Oh, it's a beautiful country. All right, all right. Can I do whatever I want? Can I get a four-wheeler? Can I, you know what? Yes, you could do what, pretty much whatever you want over there. All right, I'm ready to go. I mean, you wouldn't have to, you probably wouldn't pray about it. I mean, you would pray because we're Christians. You go, Lord, okay, good. Yeah, that's the, that's the Lord, you know. Some things you don't have to pray about. You just say, yeah, that's God, man, that's God. Yes, and they have some of the most beautiful women in the world or some of the most handsome men in the world, depending on where you are. And, and you go, oh, I'm there, man, I'm there, you know. And they would pick a movie star and say, that actually, they're from there, you know. I didn't know that. Okay, all right. George Clooney, he's from there, you know. He's in Italy, actually. But anyway, uh, somebody out there that uh, you, you would think would be, wow, that would be neat or cool or whatever. That's my generation. But hey, you know, I, I wouldn't mind looking a little bit like him. So... So anyway, you go through all that, you, you would respond immediately, and in the kingdom of God, when you find out, I'm talking about when you really find out, not, not here, cognitive, when you find out, but when it hits your spirit, everything in the kingdom of God is about the mystical power of Jesus Christ and his gospel, his good news. Because you know that you cannot even understand the gospel, communicate the gospel, and it can transform someone's life. Like, think about it. Have you ever thought, I don't understand why he had, like, why did he, he was God, why did this whole thing, like a covenant or something, what, like, is that like a promise thing? And then, and then he had to come and fulfill what had to be accomplished so that, what is it, where did this come from? It's Jewish understanding. Uh, Jewish covenant, 
the fall of man. You talked about the fall of man. It's, it's just too much for my head to understand. But, but you're just telling me that if I believe in Jesus, if I believe that he died on the cross and his death relinquish, if I do that in faith, and I really believe it, I, say, I believe that Jesus died for me, that it eradicates all my sin. And not only does it eradicate, eradicate my sin, but it positions me with power by his Holy Spirit to do some pretty amazing things while we're here on earth? Exactly. I mean, that's different. So what we've had in America is we've had a huge generation of people that have bought into a counterfeit Christianity. One that says, come forward, say a little prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed, say a little prayer, repeat after me, Jesus, I love you. I believe you died on a cross for me. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But do you know that concept of doing that is about 150 years old? That's it. Billy Graham made it really famous, and it works. I mean, people come, but they, they come, but they're not, they're not really understanding what they're signing up for. That their life has turned, it, you no longer live. It's, well, like, what, what would be an altar call? Like, who wants to die? You know, just raise your hand. Every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know, I want to die. I want to die and live through someone else's life. No one would be raising their hand, you know. So it's like, you know, do you want to feel more freedom and joy and peace? you got to kind of sell them on it, you know. It's going to be really joyful. Like, you're miserable right now. No, not really. We're going to be miserable, and you're going to want to know what to do, and this is what you need to do. You need to follow Jesus, you know. Uh, but actually, when he called his disciples, he said things like, take up your cross and follow me. Where do you go when you have a cross? You don't go to Chipotle. You go to die. And that may be the same, that'd be Taco Bell. But anyway, you, 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 you were choosing to be done with your life and to take on the life of Christ. And the life of Christ is the secret to totally fulfilling the life that you had. It's now in Christ. And you learn of him. Jesus said three big things that I really like. He said, come to me, follow me, learn of me. The learn of me is the big one. The learn of me is following in the footsteps of the rabbi. You know, you're learning what he does, you do. You mimic him. You mimic Christ. It actually says that in the New Testament. You know, mimic God. You know, it says it differently. It's like follow God. In the Greek, it says mimic God. So you see who God is, what his character is like. You mimic that. And the power of the Spirit, the faith you have, the desire that Cornelius did it in Acts 10. He mimicked Jews and it rose up before God, and God said, what's going on over there? And he sent an angel down, and the angel went down, and Acts 10, the Holy Spirit broke out in a powerful way. People came to know Jesus, all because one man did not understand Judaism, but mimicked what they did, and he got the whole meal deal as a result of it, you know. So there's something powerful, not only with faith, but with hunger. When you start to hunger and say, I want to live a life that counts, that's in Jesus Christ. Now here's a cool thing. In Revelation uh, chapter 3, it ends with this verse that is used across America a lot when you give an altar call. Verse 20, it says, Behold, or look, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. I stand at the door and knock, you know. So <laughs> any man opens the door, anyone opens the door, and allows me to come in. I will come in with them and eat and drink with them. So it's this, 
It's the Lord at our door. What a servant. I mean, the God, the creator of the universe, has to be polite. You know, like, hey, I'm out here. I love in Song of Solomon, you know, where it, where it talks about the lover, Solomon, and, his, and, and his, the, the love that he's pursuing, this woman. It's actually, uh, Song of Solomon is interpreted by Jews in seven different allegories. They, they see so much deeper than the typical non-Jew does. <laughs> and they're mystical in understanding. But, but one of them is, is that this is God in the flesh. And he's going after his bride. He's looking for a bride. And the picture of God, this, this kind of starts changing your view of God. This is very important for everyone. It's part of your identity. It's going to understand that God is not probably who you think he is. He's way nicer. <laughs> he's way more merciful because we think God's like us. He's like us, just a little better version. You know. That's called idolatry. When you create God in your image, it's idolatry. What you realize at a time of revelation in your heart, whether you prayed the little prayer or not, you could be a thief on the cross and not even know there is a prayer to pray. You just say, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I be with you? Like that almost is a little bit self-serving. What does Jesus say today? You'll be with me in my kingdom. Wow. He didn't go to church. Never went to Sunday school. Probably wasn't kids' church. There wasn't a youth group, young adults, none of that. Probably never tithed. Uh, he probably did bad things. He was a thief. He was on a cross. And the only thing that he had to do, if you say doing does it, is he recognized who Jesus was. When Jesus, who reads hearts and knows minds and hearts, saw his heart, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what it takes. When you enter into that, you enter into the identity, no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me and through me. You enter into the identity of, identity of Christ and you begin to understand who you really are in Christ. And it's a game changer. You start to realize God is really good. God really loves me. I'm favored. Even in the Old Testament, you see it in places like Psalm 18, where it says, he took me out of the depths of the clay, speaking of a, a negative trap. He took me out of the depths of clay. He lifted me up and he brought me into a broad place. This part really gets me. Because, yeah, yeah, why because? Why'd you do that? Why would he do that to me? This is because he delighted in me. I love that terminology. I like to think that God delights in me. Even when I screw up, you know, he's like, well, whatever, you know. I mean, I have grandkids. I delight in them regardless of what they do. They come over, they destroy my house. And then leave. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but they're so cute, you know, it's just so, so difficult. I honestly, if I think that way, if, if, if I want to do good things, how much more, it says in Matthew's, how much more will my Father in heaven, that if I ask for a fish, he's not going to give me a serpent. It's not like sarcastic dad. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, you want a fish? Here's one right here, you know, that's a serpent. And you go running in the other room screaming. He's not that dead. If I ask for bread, he will not give me a stone. How much more, if you ask for his Holy Spirit, will he not give it to you? I mean, that is the character and nature. Oh, those cookies look good. They are so amazing. Yeah, feel free at any time if you need more cookies. Uh, it's the first time that's happened in my meeting where people are just going and eating. I'm not ashamed of No, no, I understand. I, I would do the same thing. So uh, that's what God's like. You know, he allows those things to happen. Just go get a cookie if you need one, you know. He delights in you. 
So once you start getting, you know, I'm telling you this, when you live in legalism, you live in religion, you never experience the joy, favor, grace, and acceptance of God. When you break out of that, right now people are trying to deconstruct so that they can understand a little better. The deconstruct really is more destruct. <laughs> when you start pulling things apart, not to examine them so that you might understand better, but to, to question them like, well, is this really true? And is this right? I understand that we all have apologetics. We need to understand how to, how to defend and understand the things of God. There are some things about God, trust me, you will never understand. If you're going to be a Christian because I'll be a Christian when I understand what God's doing. You're not ready yet <laughs> because it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I mean, I, I always think about this. I always think, well, like God speaks to me in so many mysterious ways that if I'm not careful, I won't even hear it. I won't see it. And so I've heard people say, well, if it's the Lord, he'll make it clear. And I feel like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> like, he seems to like mystery. Yeah. Like, why didn't Moses, when he called Moses, why didn't he just come up and say, Moses, I'm God. You know, just want to let you know that. I need you to do something. No, he comes in a burning bush that's not consumed. Moses is out there because he's been running from the law for 40 years for killing a guy. And, and he looks, he's been, he lives in a wilderness, he's seen spontaneous combustion. He's seen bushes that just blow up because they're so dry and it's so hot. But he watches this one, and it's not being consumed. It keeps burning, this bush, it keeps burning. So the Bible says he turned aside. That is a key. When you turn to the Lord, his voice comes out of the bush. So all it takes is you going... And the Lord goes, that's faith right there. <laughs> that's faith. I'm going to speak to you. And I'm going to bring you into a place where obviously love, joy, peace has become a common part of your life, even in difficult times, because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm giving you my Spirit. That's when you know that you really have the Spirit of God, is that you're able to handle things. You know, everything can be a gut punch. If you hear that someone dies, you hear that you lost your job, you hear that you're bankrupt, you hear that... The, the girl you've been with for five years all of a sudden is running around with your boyfriend, or those kinds of things, it's a gut punch. There's that initial, it's nature, it's human nature that you go, oh, oh, like that. But there's something in it. You ever seen the movie Matrix? I love the part where he kind of, he, he gets into the understanding of who he is. And remember when uh, he's Neo, and you remember when they come and they get in this fight and they punch him. This is after his revelation. We punch him before he gets really messed up. They punch him this time. They're out. This is always a picture. Their, their fist goes into his belly like that and then comes back out. And he's just standing there. They're shooting at him. And before he was, you know, it was horrible. Now he's like, everything slows down. He reaches up in the air. He grabs a bullet and looks at it, and then turns as the others go by. I mean, it's the reality of the, that, that movie was a very prophetic movie. They didn't mean it to be a prophetic movie, but it was in 1999, because it spoke of what the flesh and the spirit is like. That when you become a spirit individual, your, your senses are awakened. That's why we're awake church here. You're awakened. There's something about you're aware before you were all narcissistic going around on yourself. Hey, where's there one? How come you're not here? Blah, blah, blah. Why don't I get a chocolate chip cookie? You know, and they're right over there. Yeah, I know, but I got to get up and go. Someone bring it to me. I mean, all this stuff is about me, 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 me. You know, memes are actually spelled me, me. 
it's really kind of interesting. <laughs> me, me, this is me, me. I like this me, me. This, this meme, it's about me. It says something about who I am. This hippopotamus, this cat video, it's, it's me. It's, you know, it explains my life. I hope you'll understand me better because of what this cat did in this video. So there's, there's this, we're very concerned about that. And how many likes we have and all that. I mean, I, I get it. You know, we're on and TikTok and, and, you know, but I'm getting, being programmed on TikTok. I, I don't really want to be there. And, you know, and what I'm going to do now, I, we don't tweet anymore. Now we're X. How do you X? It's, it doesn't even make sense, you know, but Elon Musk had a day where he wanted to call it X. And so now it's X. It's not Twitter. And it's very confusing out there right now, you know. But in the kingdom of God, when you begin to begin the life in Christ, it opens up something that is somewhat surreal, but yet very real. And, the, and you begin to see as Christ would see. You begin to understand. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And here's something that is said. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So, He's already, before you ever receive Jesus Christ, he's already messing with your life. He's there. He's been there all the time. He's been there with you. And, uh, and he's going to be with you, there with you your entire life. So here's the deal. I'll, I'll close with this. I'll close with my beginning. So in Luke, it says something interesting that it actually is one thing that occurs in all four Gospels, which is unusual. Because we know Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels. They look the same, very similar. John is an outlier. John is like, what? Uh, the word came? What, where's the manger thing? We, he doesn't include manger. He doesn't include Mary and Joseph and all that cool little story that we all think about at Christmas time. It just says, uh, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we did not comprehend it, you know. And it was a light that came into the world. You know, all these things like, I mean, it's, it is so mystical. John was just that, it's so mystical that he wrote a book called Mystical Revelation, you know, the last book of the Bible. But this particular thing shows up in all four books. And so it's pretty interesting. It's about John the Baptist. And he says, is this written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness so there's a voice right now that's crying in the wilderness. These are the days of Elijah. That used to be a song. <laughs> These are the days of Elijah. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Think about that. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the, 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 the salvation of the Lord. So I've, I've looked at that a number of times. It keeps coming back to me. It's the preparation of the coming of Christ the first time. There is a preparation right now for the coming of Christ the second time. We, how many of you saw Jesus Revolution? Any of you see that? It was pretty cool, wasn't it? I, lo I loved it. It was just, I, I would love to, I've seen, we showed it at our church. We were able to get a, uh, a pre-copy of it like a month before it was shown. We packed out our church, uh, I think we did a couple, two times, I think, two or three, I forget. And I, so I got to watch it like numerous times. Every time I saw something different, it was so overwhelming because it's, what I, you know, it's a historic fact what happened with Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith and all that. And, 
and uh, Greg Laurie, uh, who some, had some really cool sideburns in that, in that movie, pork chop sideburns, you know. Uh, remind me so much of the 70s, but it, it was in a time of great distress that the Holy Spirit planted a seed. And uh, someone did a study on that once, a friend of mine that went into Cambodia right after the Khmer Rouge uh, devastation where they murdered 200,000 people, the rulers of Cambodia. And it was so distressful in the whole country. And in the, it was like a plow that went deep into the ground. And some nations experienced that with war or pandemics or things like that. And we're in a distressing time right now. In those times, the Lord plants seeds, just like you do as a farmer. There's a plow on the ground. He plants the seeds of revival that create reformations and revolutions and renaissance and things like that. A new birth experience. I believe right now is very similar to 1968. 1968, we had been through the assassination of President in 1963, John Kennedy. I remember that day as clear as a bell. I was walking home from school. I was six years old. Back then, we walked home from school at six years old. <laughs> Go figure. And I was walking home, and a guy pulls up beside me, rolls down his window, and says, the president's been shot. Rolls his window up and takes off. Like, what? <laughs> what's a six-year-old going to do with that? I thought, president? Like, I love Kennedy. Every, I mean, it was really weird, but back then, in the homes, in people's homes, they had pictures of the president. We don't do that anymore. Does anyone have President Biden in your home? I mean, who just doesn't have, or Trump, President Trump, did you, no, we, we don't do that. Maybe on our bumper sticker or something, but not in our house. But back then, we, we all, John Kennedy, we'd hang out on the wall, you know. And when he was killed, it was a great disturbance because assassin, president assassinated, a beloved president, Camelot. I mean, how can this be, you know? And, and so we're cranking through with the Bay of Pigs prior to that. There was a lot of stuff. There was the saber rattling from Russia where you know, they went to Cuba and they, they were building a base to, to put nuclear weapons offshore from the United States. And, and there was the big uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis that took, I mean, we, we were raised in an environment like you, with 9-11 or with the pandemic or, or crashes in the markets and housing problems and riots in the streets. Like, we've got our fair share over the past. Y2K had to be the worst. You know, that we were thought our toaster would not work anymore yeah. on January 1st. 2000, but it did. And uh, it's funny because at my house, somebody went, we were having a party. Somebody snuck down in the basement. Must have happened all over America during the party. And we, we hit midnight. It's like, woo! And he flipped all the power off in the house. And we're like, it happened! Everybody's screaming and yelling. He waited a few seconds and put it back on. Like, oh, the Lord protected us, you know, until we found out he was, and then the Lord needed to protect him in the midst of that situation. So, Y2K was a big nothing burger, really. But we worried about it for a while. Our computers are going to go bad. You're going to lose all your money in the bank. I mean, it was a, it was a moment in time. But in 1968, the wheels came off of America. It was during the Vietnam War. 52,000 young men mainly gave their lives for this country for a war that was not very popular. Did you know when the people came home from the Vietnam War, Many of them were spit upon in the airport. You imagine being a soldier and seeing your buddies torn apart. You've got PTSD yourself. You come home and, and your family despises that you were in that war and you were even spit upon as you came through the airport. That's what was going on. The anti-war movement was strong and it's, it was legit because 
It was a war that we probably shouldn't have been in. Now, in hindsight, looking back at that, and we dragged through it for multiple years, I think over a decade, uh, by the time we sent the advisors over and got back. So, so it was raging the streets. There was, there was protests in college campuses across the country that actually led up to Kent State uh, killing of four dead in Ohio, which was a song in the 70s. You know, 10 soldiers and Nixon coming. We're finally on our own. Is that the way it goes? Uh, four dead in Ohio. It was, all, it was this, this disturbance in the peace movement and flower children and everything else. And in the midst of that difficulty, 1968, Robert F. Kennedy, who was the hope, John's younger brother, Bobby, was running. Everyone had hope in Bobby. He was a front runner. He was going to win the Democratic nomination and would go to be president. It was, it was, it was just going to happen. Everyone knew it because of his, he almost feel like you, he deserved it because of what he went through with his brother and the assassination. He's killed in San Francisco at a fundraising event. A man came up, actually, there's a lot of controversy on this. It was believed that a man named Sirhan Sirhan killed him. It turns out it probably wasn't him. He's been in prison ever since then. Uh, and Bobby Kennedy Jr. has met with Sirhan Sirhan to hear the story, and, and they're starting to piece it all together. It's not conspiracy, it's information coming out that was not there before. So you imagine the bitterness of Bobby Kennedy Jr. that his uncle and his dad were assassinated, possibly in conspiracy understanding, by the, the US government. It's like, what? Then the same year, uh, it's, like God, uh, it's like the enemy was hitting both sides of the equation the popular uh, revolutionary, peaceful revolutionary, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., is assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I think he walked out on a balcony at the hotel he was staying at and was shot. And uh, it was devastating. It was devastating. I mean, that's all in one year in 1968. And, I mean, there's the war. There's all this stuff. It, and it worked up. It worked up into this final, this finale of, of you know, Nixon being elected, then Watergate, and then him having to resign, and then Ford coming in and acquitting him of all of his crimes, and Nixon didn't go to, I mean, it was like this government, like back then we thought the government is corrupt. There's, it, there's deep state issues. This is, that was what, 50 years ago. It's kind of the same things we're running through right now. People don't trust government. People are concerned. COVID didn't help with it. There's something going on. It is not dissimilar to 1968. But what happened in the midst of that was the seeds of revival were being planted. By 1972, as you saw in the movie, actually Billy Graham was really a big part of it. Billy Graham spoke uh, at the, uh, I forget what it was called now. It was in Dallas, Texas. It was on the front of Life magazine, the big gathering that took place. The official birthing, Billy Graham kind of gave his stamp of, of approval, which really took that movement into a whole new level. And I was, I was a teenager then, and our church uh, yielded themselves to this move of the Spirit. And it was important, because you, you got to think in the context of 1960s and 70s, where everyone in church wore suits and ties, and every, it was very proper, and this is the way we do church, and, you know, if you're... If you are barefooted or don't have the same clothes we have on or have too much jewelry on or have a tattoo or something like that, 
you know, you need to get cleaned up before, like we believed back then that you needed to clean the fish before you caught them, which is kind of gross. How would you like to pull in a fillet, you know, a filleted fish? It'd be, I'm not going to eat that, you know. Um, and God's not either. So, um, so we had that issue. My pastor opened the doors to the hippies, and they came. They came by the hundreds. They all would want to sit in the front row. Like, you know, you'd think they'd want to sit in the back row, but they didn't. They sat up front. No shoes. They didn't smell great. They'd been smoking something. They had long hair, you know, really long hair. They, they just had that stone look in their face, you know, but they were hungry. And we saw as the Holy Spirit just touched them. They, they were coming out of Woodstock. They were coming out of 1969. They were coming out of, you know, flower children, love child. Uh, they were coming out of really weird understandings uh, from Hinduism and all kinds of things. But the message of Jesus Christ arrested them. Something like 75% of my generation pastors that are all kind of retiring right now, 75% of them trace their roots back to the Jesus movement in the 70s. I would be one of those. And so it's a huge thing. We are now in a transformational, generational handoff to another generation. I believe that God, like we saw in that movie, is about to do it again. I think it's already started. I think Asbury was a flashpoint. I don't know if you went to Asbury or not. We had a bunch of people, our, almost our whole staff went to Asbury to sit in those two weeks, I believe it was, when the Holy Spirit was moving at Asbury Theological Seminary and Asbury University in a very powerful way. They're still doing it, actually, um, but it's kind of behind closed doors because they were trying to protect it. It's brewing. I just saw online today there's like uh, all across America, states now are starting their own Asbury-like groups on the internet to wait on God, prayer. I mean, God is planting seeds right now and they're beginning to come out of the ground and beginning to bud. Why am I telling you this? Because we're in a generation right now where the John the Baptist preparation is coming upon us. So what is it? What is this? It's about bringing mountains down. It's about bringing low potholes, fill them in. It's about making things straight instead of crooked. Crooked is ruling the day right now, and there's lack of trust. But the Lord is coming back to a runway that has been prepared by his people, and there's going to be a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us? It means this is the moment to get right with God. This is the moment to put aside the other things. So much weird theology out there right now. But let me just speak clearly the gospel. The gospel is not healing. That's great. The gospel is not even just deliverance. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about attending church. We know that Jesus likes that. He loves to assemble together. I could prove it in scripture. But it's not about all that. The gospel is about the good news of Christ. That he came. He gave his life. He was the most righteous man that ever lived. He had no sin whatsoever and yet was died. He was killed as a thief, as a blasphemer. Conned by the Jews to the Roman government to have him crucified, which was not even a way to kill a Jew. That was reserved for Romans. But they used a Roman, the most grueling death that you could ever experience, where you had to push up on your pegged feet that had been driven through with steel nails, basically, 
Had to push up. They had a little platform there that to breathe, he'd have to push up, take a breath. Back down, and the pain was immense, you know, as his body began to fight all the pain that was in his body, and he would push up and run down. And he was good enough that he could actually talk to people in the crowd watching, you know. And he suffered and died as the Paschal lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Looking ahead, the Bible says, this, this is a fascinating verse, it says, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means that he looked ahead 2,000 years, saw you on your worst day and said, I'll die for that. I'll die for that. He died for every one of us. And the way that we get the blood over the doorpost of our heart is by believing in Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus is applied. It not just redeems you from eternal darkness. There is a hell. There is eternal darkness. There is a place of gnashing of teeth, of the greatest anxiety, fears, separation, and loneliness that you could ever experience in the universe is available to those who follow after the enemy, Satan himself. You say, well, why do good people go to hell? Well, because they, they have not yielded to God. Well, what if they didn't know about God? The Bible says that he expresses himself and preaches even through the very nature that is around us. Romans 1 says that the, the, the whatever your degree of being able to understand is what you're judged with. If you're clever and you're smart and you can understand things, there's, there's a judgment for that. You're accountable for that. You need to yield fully to Jesus Christ. And yielding to Jesus Christ means you turn to him. This is over and over again in scripture. It's about turning like Moses turned to the burning bush. Like the thief turned to Jesus on the cross. All the thief had to do, he didn't even have to go forward and fill out a visitor card or something. He just kind of leaned on his, on his shoulder and said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come to your kingdom? Which is turning. He turned. If you will turn, and yield your life and realize you don't even know what you're doing fully because you're yielding yourself. And when you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. The real identity of who you are, the real destiny of what God has for you is all hidden in Jesus Christ. Did you know that verse I said earlier, Romans or Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, it's, it's inferred in Scripture. Look at it tonight when you go home, go to bed. The last verse in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door, not. Revelation 3.20. Revelation 4.1, it implies that the door was opened. And come in, and when you do, when, when, the, when God comes in, when Christ comes in the door, when you do, it says another door opens in heaven, and God is up there. You invite him in, he invites you up. So you say yes to Jesus, he says yes to you. And he says, come on up. That's what it says in the Bible. Come on up so that I might show you the things to come. The world we're living in right now demands interpretation, demands clarification, demands understanding. The only way you're going to get that, if you have Christ you're going to be able to walk into the depths of whatever we're going to face in America in the days ahead. I personally think we're heading into a good future, but there's going to be difficult times. And going into those difficult times and even your own individual pain, you will be able to count it all joy when you encounter various trials because you understand God, you know his ways, and because I've invited them in, even though I don't understand everything about God, I'm not that clever, I understand that he invites me up and he will show me the path 
into everything that I'm going to experience, everything I'm going to go through. But it takes the choice of saying, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I want to be with you. When you fall in love with the love that Jesus has for you, you are signing up not only to the eternal presence of Christ in heaven where you will dwell with him, but you now receive the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 1.13, you're sealed at salvation with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit moves in, starts cleaning house. He's like, hey, what's in the, what's in the upstairs bedroom? Oh, no, 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 don't go up there. There's just, you know, it's, it's just like the attic. There's really nothing there. And he says, no, no, it's my house now. I just, just want to let you know I'm going to go up and check it out. You know, I love that, that one passage, or one passage, one episode of the, of the Chosen. When they're going, the, Jesus and the disciples are going to stay in his house. Do you remember that? And they're all coming in, and she's saying, yeah, take the room to the right, down the hallway there, you know, whatever. And uh, they come in, this one guy, I forget who it was, comes in, and she goes, oh, uh, you can take the room upstairs, but it's got a kind of weird spirit up there, you know, in that room. Jesus steps up and says, I'll take it, I love that. You know, it's like... <laughs> He'll go into the room that demons are living in, you know, like, yeah, good. You know, it's like Martin Luther, 500 years ago, great reformist. He woke up one night, something stirred him. He woke up, looked at it to the side, this famous quote he made. He looked to the side, and the devil was in bed with him. He said, oh, it's just you, and he went back to sleep. I mean, it's that kind of comfort around evil, because you know who you are, that's your identity, and you know your destiny in Christ. And because of it, you can walk fearless into the future. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want to pray because I believe that you are a part. I, I believe that this is not like a general, like certain people are going to experience this. Like if you're age 18 to 35, it's going to be a powerful move of God. I really believe this is an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob generation. I believe it's this generation that's going to experience it. All those that are alive are going to experience this. I'm going to experience it. I guarantee you, I'm going to be in the front row. Wherever, wherever, however this breaks out, I'll be there. I've been writing moves of God for 40 years now. Seven different moves of God. And I've gone from train to train. I said, look, this is going somewhere. I want to get on this one. And I get on it, man. I resign from where I was. I go on to it. And it's, it's another level of understanding of the depths of Jesus Christ. I've, I've loved it. And I would do it all, all again, probably the same way. I'd change a few little things, but I would, I would do it the same way. I believe that you're going to be invited into the ride of your life to, with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And you're going to see an entire generation, Bob Jones, that you're well aware of, a famous prophet from North Carolina, who probably came here sometimes. Yep. He, he said that we're in for a billion soul harvest. That's one-eighth of the planet. There's already about, I think, 3, 3.5 million professed Christians in the world, let's just say there's really only one. The others are professing it, but may not be living it. You know, it includes Catholics and Protestants, all kinds of people that are, that are going after God. One billion soul harvest that's going to, going to shift the evil, righteous balance in the world where righteousness will reign at an open door. Doesn't mean there's gonna be Christians in government. I mean, there may or may not be, I don't know. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God's going to move. It's going to move on people in very unlikely places and going to reshape what God is doing in the world. I believe it's going to happen 
in our lifetime. So let's all stand together just for a minute. You've been sitting in these quasi-comfortable chairs for about 45 minutes. Well, I just want to pray for you. I believe there's a, uh, there's a stirring in the heart. And if you yield to that stirring, if you turn, some of you have been contemplating, there's, there's something that you're tied in with that you know is not righteous. It's on the borders. And you thought, so you've, you know, in times of compromise, we sometimes allow things in that shouldn't really be there. It's not pure. And, and we know it, but we just, we can justify it. We can find a scripture somewhere that, that if quoted properly feels like it's backing the lifestyle that we're living. But we know in our heart it's really not the way it is. Because the Spirit quickens us. It convicts us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He's the one that reveals Jesus Christ. And you know that this is not something Jesus would be involved in. If you turn from that, that is, not, that is you in your heart saying, I want to walk this other way. I want to walk with Jesus. When you do, heaven's door opens up and the Lord says, hey, come on up. You sit, you eat, you drink with him, and then you go up with Jesus and you live a life that is going to be uh, transcendent from anything that you've experienced. You're still going to have difficulty. You're going to have rejection. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have all that kind of stuff. It comes with it. And if you respond properly, then your suffering is called the sufferings of Christ. If you're misjudged, you're categorized, your racists speak against you, whatever it is, the suffering you go through as long as you remain with your eyes upon the cross is the sufferings of Christ, who was misunderstood, who was rejected, who was beaten, was scourged, and eventually died on the cross. But boy, you will be like the... the the church throughout history, many of them being burned at the stake, sang songs and hymns of righteousness. I can't even imagine that. While they're being burned, how can that possibly happen? It's because they understand that you can steal my body, but you cannot have my soul. I think Misty Edwards sings that. It's powerful. You can, you can hit my body, but you cannot have my soul. So right now, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to just come into this room. And some that are here, Lord, maybe all of us in one way or another, we need to, we need to turn. There's something that we've been distracted. Discouragement brings it in. Loss, fear, uh, uh, whatever, Lord. We, we compromise in our lives. We live, see, all of us live some secret life, you know, that, that we're, there's some little thing or some larger thing that we're, we're kind of ashamed of. We want to get rid of an attitude, a heart, anger, frustration, whatever it might be, envy, whatever. The Lord's coming and His Holy Spirit is going to be here to help you become that person in Christ that you've always hoped that you would be. And the power of the Spirit will enable you to do it. So right now across this room, we just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Touch hearts right now. If you're here, you know, in this moment as we're just waiting on the Lord, if, if the Lord brought something, something just popped up in your mind, you're not, I, don't, I, want you, I don't want to hear what it is and that's between you and God. You deal with it. But, but if something popped up as I was speaking and you said, you know what, there's some things I need to do in my life uh, by the power of the Spirit. This isn't something like getting myself clean so God will accept me. It's about rejecting things that have kept me from Him and embracing the path that God has before you. He's waiting for you. He loves you dearly. 
He wants to pluck you out of the miry clay, set you in a broad place, and delight in you. And if that's you, something's coming into your mind right now, just kind of raise your hand and wave at me a little bit, if that's you, just, just across this room. Yeah, it's a number of people, probably about half, actually. So, Lord, I pray for them right now, and I pray, Lord, you know what's going on in their heart and their minds. I pray, Lord, that you will light the fire in their, in their heart this night, that as they leave tonight, Lord, I pray for that burning to increase. Even as they sleep tonight, Lord, I pray that they will dream, and they will dream about the goodness of God. They will dream about the, the identity that the Lord has for them and the destiny that he has for them, Lord. And we just bless this group right now, Lord. I bless them with a life that is fulfilling. I'm at the other end of it. I, I mean, I, I'm happy for where I am. And I don't know that I'd want to live all that over again. <laughs> but I, I love people in their 20s and 30s where, where they have no idea that they're at the cusp of such an amazing ride in life. And even more amazing, just living on earth is amazing and living in health is amazing, but living in Jesus Christ is the most amazing thing we can ever do. So I bless them, Lord, across this room to find Christ in a quickening way. This night, seeds will be planted in the, in the torn up ground of the soil of every heart in this room. Those who've been rejected, those who've been despised, those who've been misunderstood, those who have suffered with questions about their gender, questions about their future, questions just about what the hell am I even here for. Everything that would pop up in your heart, I just pray, Lord, you will align us together. You will plant the seed of Christ right now. And may we see magnificent things come out of this room a year, two years, five years, ten years from now. I, I expect to get emails say, you know what, I never told you this, but it was ten years ago. I'll be deep into my 70s at that point. <laughs> and I'm going to read that email and it's going to, or AI is going to be controlling it or something. I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to read it. And I'm going to say, wow, yeah, I remember that night in, in Winston-Salem. You were there. Yes, I was there. I was there that night. Did you know now I am doing this? This is what my life is like. I am married. I have children. I have whatever. I'm, I'm helping the poor. I'm whatever, whatever it is you're doing, I'm teaching. Whatever. My life is so full. Yeah, there's problems. You were right. There's a lot of problems. But my life is so full. And I've lived a life that I will never regret because I lived it in Jesus Christ. Lord, I bless that to be a flourishing anointing upon this group tonight. Thank you for every one of those here in this room. And I just bless them from the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet. Out of 3 John, I just speak in the name of Jesus that you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.